0: Oh, Oh you have eight children and
1: I complain about one child. (laughs) Sometimes I think one might be harder because you have (laughs) to probably entertain that one child.
2: Oh my goodness.
1: Where I'm like, go play.
2: Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Hello and
0: thank you for joining us today seated at the table with me is Rachel Flanagan hey everybody Tabitha Cabrera hello Jamie Ramos hi Kim McIsaac hello I'm Jennifer Dunn and we have a special guest joining us today for our series uh, visions of the future Jess Ronnie, welcome yeah thanks for Rani. having me
2: this we are so excited
0: you are here you have such a story to tell could you introduce yourself for
1: our guests Oh, goodness. I'm Jess Rani, uh, otherwise known as Jess Plus I'm a mom of eight, author, speaker, podcast host. What else do I do? Oh, I run a nonprofit (laughs) called The Lucas Project, named after my son, Lucas, who is my child with additional needs. Um, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. And he just turned 18. So I'm pretty tired because there's a lot that goes into that transition from childhood to adulthood. Like every single day I'm micromanaging something for his adult services. So I'm ready for that to be over.
3: And then you're also a farm owner.
1: Yes, sort of. I'm not like a farmer. um, We bought a two acre farm called, and we've named it Hope Farm um, I just love it to create disability housing for Lucas and five additional individuals in the future. We have most of the families already solidified. The first phase we're hoping to launch next summer. And then there's a big white barn that we want to turn into a respite center slash day program for the community as well. It's kind of like another nonprofit <laughs> piled yes. on top of my already nonprofit. And I have too much going on right now, but I don't know where to like let things go. So it is what it is.
0: That's a dream I think we all have for our kids. Right. That's fantastic. That's amazing. Emma, um, we'll get into that. So you mentioned you have eight children, <laughs> and wow, you look fantastic. Uh, yeah,
1: makeup does wonders. <laughs> yeah. Just a mess. How did this happen? <laughs> right. How did this happen? All my children. Well, I didn't set out in life to like be that crazy woman with eight children. But I had four children and my husband passed away from brain cancer in 2010. And I remarried a widower who had three children. So when we got married, we had seven children, seven and under, including Luke, who had profound disabilities. And then we had a baby together in 2015. So because what's one more? <laughs> eight children. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing it's feeling Um, pretty intense right now because we have six teenagers i'm not like loving that
4: oh my gosh (laughs) that sounds incredible
1: incredible or horrible what word are we after
4: in a kind of shocking i'm sure kind of (laughs) it's it's
1: a lot incredibly something
0: (laughs) a lot of hormones through the house Mm
3: -hmm.
1: three girls Oh, I just want to point out that if you had
3: several tiny houses on the two acres, mm-hmm. you could have a little respite space for everybody during the puberty, you know, just a, just a little she shed for everybody
1: or a little, <laughs> that's a good idea. We talked about like moving the teenagers over to the farm with Luke, <laughs> like, yeah. you go live on the farm <laughs> Yeah. until you outgrow your hormones and then. Yeah. But then my husband's like, but honey, you're 45 and you're like perimenopausal. So are you going to go live on the farm too? like, No, you're
3: going to keep me, me <laughs> here. For that comment alone, you're going to staff that.
1: Exactly. Um,
3: yeah. <laughs> so obviously with our series about
0: our children going into adulthood and services, we all know seem to just miraculously disappear. What led you to this? How are the services for him, and what led you to the farm uh, so our listeners can understand, I think the the depths of how hard it is to get services for our kids?
1: In Michigan, I wouldn't necessarily say that they disappear. We moved here like because Michigan does do some things really well, kids go to school till they're twenty six here, so they don't fall off that twenty one year old cliff and they go to school year round here. So you at least have till twenty six to sort of, Figure out a plan and figure out what's next. That's amazing. They also, um, we just got approved for home help too, which they pay you a pretty significant amount every month to take care of your child in your home. So I'm now his paid caregiver, not like an outrageous amount, but it's helpful. So they do do some things right here. However, like we always knew with eight kids, a yes to caring for Luke for the rest of his life was going to be a no to our other kids, our grandchildren, our marriage, myself, because Luke is total care. He's incontinent, nonverbal. He needs assistance with lifting, walking, maneuvering, everything. And as I'm getting older, I'm definitely feeling that in my body. The whole process went a lot faster than we thought, but we always thought like a farm community was our ideal. And we have a beautiful one right down the road from us called Benjamin's Hope and we toured it numerous times, spoke to the owner and she was like, I mean, you're looking at 15, 20 years before there's an opening. And that was the resounding theme we heard everywhere. We've heard in Michigan, there is not a single opening in a group home unless you are basically in an emergency situation. So like you get a terminal diagnosis or you or your spouse dies, and then it's not even guaranteed that you'll be bumped to the top of the list. And I just think that's a really horrible thing to do to these kids and I call them kids because there are kids but like to lose a parent or a caregiver and then have to be like bus three hours away from the only home you've ever known to live with strangers in a group home and like away from your community and I mean talk about trauma so that's what we were like That's not okay. Let's start looking for something within 10 to 15 minutes of our home. And something just came available very quickly. Like our goal was kind of 22, 23, and this just came up and it was perfect. It's 10 minutes away. We can serve five other individuals, an anonymous investor fronted the money for three years. So we basically have three years to sink or swim. And I don't know, it's it's like cue the tears. like it just all came together (laughs) so we jumped Jess, Um,
3: when you wrote about the vines mm -hmm. on the property like I wept you're living a spoke of my dream you know like mine might have yurts it might have I call it free-range kids (laughs) right Right. but the fact that it's just like you said coming together and falling into place in this doors wide open sort of way takes my breath away and just like thank you so much for taking the leap on behalf of those five parents but also for the mold that you're setting for us we talk about our commune constantly yeah mm-hmm. and yeah, we hope people. that I'm sorry.
1: Rep, we can replicate this too and even um, you know the property set up in a way with this huge barn that we're going to transform into this respite day center we want to hold like seminars where we have families come and we say, okay, this is what you do to create this for your children, X, Y, and Z, because I think we're all waiting for the government to swoop in and save us, and that's not gonna happen. We'll put a table for five in that barn. Um, we'd like <laughs> to make a reservation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfect.
0: Do you wanna tell us about your son? You know, you, talk, you, you did touch on it, but what services um, come into the home? Will that change? Will that transition over into Hope Farm when it's completed? I assume he will live there full time.
1: He will. And my sister-in-law is actually creating a home healthcare agency to work in conjunction with any properties that we do. And she doesn't really care about profit. I mean, she, she wants to make a profit, but she's not like profit driven like a lot of other home healthcare agencies So we have some flexibility there. And I mean, that's been a huge blessing just to have her come alongside us and work with us. And he will, he'll require 24 seven care. And so will the other five individuals. We're really targeting those individuals that nobody else will touch. Those kids who have even been told that they can't attend special needs camps or programs because they're incontinent or the aggression or the behaviors or whatever it may, may be. Like the level of discrimination from even the disabled community towards disabled is astonishing to me. Like you say you serve the disabled, but yet, because my kid is in briefs, he can't come to your after school program or he can't come to your camp. Like that's mind boggling to me. And those are the families we want to serve, the ones that nobody else will touch.
0: That is amazing. I'm kind of going out of order here, but you
1: just released a documentary. Unseen. Could you tell us about it? Unseen, how we're failing parent caregivers and why it matters. That kind of sums it up. Mm -hmm. I think as parent caregivers, we often hide out in our homes and we don't go out into the world because it's really difficult and exhausting and the world isn't made for kids like ours. And so we do, we just stay home anxious and stressed and isolated and exhausted. And I think it's just time to bring our stories to the light because society is never going to help us if they don't know. So it's just saying, here we are, and there's a bunch of us. And the other thing is, you know, caregiving is, is a full-life experience. We come into the world needing care, and most likely we're going to leave the world needing care, and we're lucky if we don't need it in between. And that's the foundation of society. And if we don't start to strengthen that foundation of caregivers and caregiving, I think we're going to see detrimental effects Mm -hmm. on society as a whole and I would say we're seeing those even now because we've gotten so far away from that community tribal model and we're seeing the mental health effects that this is having on the next generation and it's horrible Um, they have no purpose nobody cares nobody's leaving space or time for others and I think our foundation is cracking and it's time to do something about it
5: Kimmy has an adult daughter I mean our situation is a little different because um we're able to manage her fine at home, but there's just no services for her to help her to help her reach her potential because she's learned and is growing in her 20s more than she did when she was younger, but 18 or 22. So there's there's just no access to anything to kind of help her along because of her age. She's not cognitively her age. So like, doesn't really, um, you know, make sense. And a lot of insurances don't cover, even if you can find a place that, We'll take them in turns. We'll only cover stuff to a certain age. So it's just, it's just very frustrating, I find.
1: What state are you in?
5: Massachusetts. Oh, so that's we to have-
1: me. In Massachusetts. Oh, but
5: it's because of where she falls. So it's like. A lot of kids that are severe and nonverbal the way she is, like at this point, they're not necessarily always looking to get them involved in stuff like this, right? They're more going the group homes and different stuff like that. And they have a lot for job support and vocational training and housing, but she's like, she doesn't really fit in any one of those categories. She goes to a day hab. It's fine, but it's not what she deserves. It's not where she should be. It just gives her something to do throughout the day you know there's no therapies or anything obviously her needs haven't changed from 14 to 16 to 22 they're still the same but she can't get any access to services Massachusetts is good as far as there's like lots of laws good compared to probably some states you know what I mean but there's still not not a lot for somebody where she's at
1: right
3: there's sometimes a one-size-fits-all approach to the services that are available and for many of our kids you can be one thing and also struggle with another or bring with you Other parts of your constellation that disqualify you for what's available. I think that comes back to, like you're talking about, the caregiver burnout, because all of those things that Kim just said fall back on her shoulders Mm -hmm. to fill the gap of what's not available. And it's such a big picture. Like it's just such a cycle. That doesn't mean that Alyssa is not still learning. That means that Kim is doing the teaching. That means that Kim is taking from her pot to, but fill a need because there isn't anybody to swoop in. And back even further, I feel like it's in standing together, shoulder to shoulder to like learn these things and hold each other up and support the caregiver because it's that that feeds our kids, you know? Something that's not talked about. We get used
4: to hearing a no or hearing a you have to wait Or hearing, you know, your child doesn't fit into our category, even though someone told you that there's services or access to services. And I think that chips away a little bit at your seeking ability sometimes, you know, seeking out services. You're always seeking, but I think you get used to this idea that someone's going to tell you no, even before you walk in the door, because you brace yourself for those kind of things in the waiting. And I love this idea that you're trying to formulate a yes just a yes, you know, through a community grassroots um, approach, which is awesome and beautiful for all of us who hear no regularly, you
5: know. Yeah, and it's like, I know, like, for instance, like what medical care, like, um, she's aging out of all her medical care. And I'm like, okay, well, who specializes in neurology for special needs? Like, what hospital do I go through? Or who, who do I contact? And they're just like, oh, no, there's not really a person who does that. She can just go to a regular neurologist. Oh, really? No, she can't. And we're very fortunate to find a doctor who specializes because he has a child on the spectrum and he's piloting a program in Lexington, um, kind of near Boston. And, uh, but like, if he leaves that practice, I'm back to square one. This is a child that has to be sedated in order to get blood work done. Like, you can't get blood from her. She can't get vaccinations. Like, you can't get anything in her without sedating her. So it's like, a regular doctor is not going to understand that they're going to look at me like I have 15 heads. Their needs are just so particular. Like if she was having some kind of pain, I needed an ultrasound. Like they're not they're, they're not going to be able to give her an ultrasound. If you go to a children's hospital, they understand special needs and they understand these things. You go to like the local area hospital, we got her sedated one time for blood work and they tried to send the security guards in to pin her down. And we were like, absolutely not. I mean, my husband was like, he got up and he was like, don't touch her. You know what I'm saying? Cause they don't know. It's like, they just don't know because there's no, there's
3: no training for this particular population. I'm sure you deal with the same thing with your son. It's like you can schedule an appointment, but it isn't until you roll in with what everything is
1: that somebody yeah. understands or takes the time, you know? Well, I think too, like I get so sick of retelling my story. Yeah. Right. All the new specialists. And I'm thinking, as you're talking, like a hundred years ago, there was like the town doctor, who Mm -hmm. like literally delivered the baby. And then even with special needs would have seen that child till the day he or she died. So, but now we're like, here's this person and this person and this person retired. And now you get to drive two hours away to this person and retell your story again and again and again. And it's like, why can't we simplify it somehow? Like special needs parents need one more thing to do. (laughs) It's exhausting. That's really the thing when you said your
3: sister your sister or sister in-law is doing a home care service. I'm like, oh my gosh, an auntie that knows the history and a standard set that is just like you have to understand these people and all right. of their facets mm-hmm. to be in this environment so that we really can be a community that's supported. Right. it mm-hmm. just takes my breath away. Jess, I just I don't know if you're tired enough to realize that you should be proud, but you should <laughs> you should know. <laughs> like,
1: well, we're keep, we're just as on. desperate for community too, and we talk about yes. this farm like we know all these these five families, and we know their kids, and we're talking about like creating a fire pit where we all gather once a month and we do s'mores with the kids, and we talk and we have community because yeah, I think with special needs parents too, we're like yeah, I have community on Facebook, like that's not yeah. really community. <laughs> yeah. Shoulder to shoulder though, yes. when you can get shoulder to shoulder th- with people that understand.
3: It is like going to church you know it is just to be understood in such a and, profound way
0: and i i don't I'm going to get a little choked up i think we all know we've all heard the horror stories of homes mm-hmm. where a lot of our children will end i mean it's a, you know the reality of it so to build something safe those other five families mm-hmm. just must be you know just well their, i am too you know, because
1: they're like yeah we'll all be so involved. And so if Luke's having a hard day and one of the moms texts me and it's like, Hey, it seems like Luke is off or, you know, just to have all those eyes and ears on all of these individuals. And we all, I mean, we started tearing up because we were like, you, you realize like, we'll probably end up going to our kids' funerals someday. Like they're going to grow up together. The oldest is 22 we have like three 18 year olds and like a 21, 22 and 23 year old. So like, we are just going to surround these kids and they're going like to, they're going to grow together.
0: Yeah. Will you have any animals on the farm?
1: Yeah. We're yeah. going to start with some chickens and goats and probably a, maybe a dog and some cats.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. That I so love fun. that.
1: Where in Michigan are you? West, like West Michigan area, Holland area. I grew up in Port Huron. So I don't okay. know how far that is like st joe ann arbor oh yeah other side of the state okay yeah right. so
5: what is the process that you have to go through in order to do something like this like obviously you have to buy the property mm-hmm. but what else pray. like does it entail pray and
1: beg god
3: over and <laughs> over and god. over
1: <laughs> We need the cliff note seminar right now, please. We can wait. We kind of got lucky because an investor saw the documentary and offered to front the money. We mm-hmm. couldn't have done this on our own. Um, and so when that happened, I did set up a search with a local realtor and she would just send me properties and I'd kind of check them out. And this went on for three or four months. And then this one came up one day and I whipped over there because the market's really hot here. Like it has been everywhere and I thought for sure my husband was gonna like nix it cause he's like the realist and I'm the dreamer. And he walked mm-hmm. through and he was like, I think this is it. So we made an offer the next day. And then the following day it was ex- accepted. So we kind of looked at each other, like, you know that movie, we bought a zoo and we were like, oh, we bought a farm. <laughs> <laughs> so no. and it needs total renovation like it's but it is need- there a
5: lot of like does it have to be licensed does it have like what are all the things that you like have to do or do you like are you not that far into it to really know we are
1: we've been meeting with community mental health for the past month or two we really did not want to license it because you have a lot more oversight with licensing Mm -hmm. However, they were only going to let us serve four individuals if we didn't license it. And so then we went to the township and we petitioned to turn it into a duplex and they nixed that idea. So I think we are going to go the licensing route, which you do get a lot. You get increased funding going through the licensed route, which the, the individuals living there will need as much funding as we can get from the state to provide for their care. So the next step, we have to renovate it. And then we have licensing come out and approve it. And then we're pretty much good to go. Because once licensing approves it, then home health care can come in and start supplying the services.
5: And are those the people that would be like the caretakers as Mm -hmm. well? Or is that like separate?
1: No, those are the direct care workers. We've heard that there will probably be like three around the clock individuals for the 6 individuals that we have living there
5: and would they be able to would they just stay there all day or would they be able to do like day programming from there
1: that's our thought because just like everywhere michigan's kind of been back and forth about funding and so yes we have the 26 year like fall off the cliff right now but there's been like murmurings that that might go away in the next couple of years so we would like to create the day program right on the property. Um, And then like a once a month respite, like a five or six hour respite opportunity for the community as well. Because I think that's going to be the key to the success is getting the community really involved in this project as well so that they support it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Man, even if there was a one hour, you know, that... I could really use a walk by myself in the grocery Mm -hmm. store one hour that you would just give a leg for when you need
1: it. Yeah, I don't know about the one hour because I always say like by the time I show up and fill out the 20 pages of paperwork and convince Luke that we're going somewhere new, and then yeah like,
3: okay so one hour from the
1: car hitting reverse let's be more right. <laughs> and then drop him off and then run to whatever i need to do and then come back and get him it's have like, a coffee and a car cry whatever you need right. That's the whole seven time. minutes
2: per task
1: right worry the
2: whole time yep so Jeff, obviously you care so much about the caregiver what got you to this point to be like hey we need to help people like myself and you Even if you could explain a little bit, like we know Lucas is, you know, 24-7 care, how that's affected you in your life and why you want to help other caregivers so much.
1: I usually call myself the reluctant caregiver. Like I'm not that really mushy mom who just loves to, you know, hold my kids all day long or (laughs) I don't know. I'm, I'm a fixer. I'm like very type A, like there's a problem. Let's fix it. But I think I realized a few years ago that I had a unique advantage in having cared for a sick husband for three years before he passed away, and then a profoundly disabled child. And for some reason, like God taked me it and was like, here's eight kids too, to be a caregiver for. So I think, I don't know, I just have A unique perspective and understanding that this is what the human experience is about is caring for each other and we've really gotten away from that and even as I've been speaking so much more I'm realizing that is the angle somehow we need to get back to taking care of each other Mm -hmm. Um, because I think we used to be a lot better at that and then like I say in the documentary my body always hurts I think somehow like outwardly I'm able to sort of pull it together but at 45 years old for five years, my body aches all the time. And I think it's just that, like that book, the body keeps the score. I am in constant pain, joints, bones, everything. And it's just that fight or flight that you live in like you never know like today we sent him to school but he was kind of acting kind of tired and off and all day I'm just staring at my phone like when is that text gonna come when is that email gonna come and am I gonna be able to do this interview and get my work done and people just don't and yes I get that you get that with typical kids too but if Luke comes home it is me beside him 24 seven. it's different than like your typical child comes home and you put a movie in or whatever. Luke needs me beside him 24 seven. And it's, it's intense. So there's just, I think that's what I'm recognizing too. At 45 years old, I don't know how many more years my body can literally take all this trauma and stress before it starts to give out. Um, And I don't really want to wait around to see what that looks like. So that's, I think why we're moving forward, probably faster than we would have even with, Hope Farm.
2: Well, I just love the emphasis that you put on community. And I think that's really what I've found. Like you said, you cannot wait for the government forever to do these things and we can fight for this and that, but really people putting that effort in and coming together and building places for our kids or building programs for our kids. Like I think about all like the special needs sports, my son's in, it took like a parent or an uncle of someone with a special needs to really start that and get that going people don't understand they don't understand the day-to-day so when they're looking at a bill or you're sitting at a board meeting presenting something they don't really understand what it's like so I love that you as parents and then you're coming together with these other parents to create a community for your children it's just beautiful
4: and it's really like I mean I like to live by this philosophy that any person can make something out of nothing You just have to have like a motivation or a drive or reason or, you know, some kind of steam behind you, and then get all the other people to join you in that fight with however you're going to do that. And I think your life speaks to that. Like you formulate and make services that don't exist because we can't get them from somewhere else, or even just to have everyone seen in this documentary which in turn helped provide for your farm um, future. So it's like a stepping stone each, each way. But I, I think as all of us, as a community of caregivers, we see all these missing stones in the path and each person can maybe put one in place if we all come together to do that. So it's really, really, really beautiful.
0: I was going to ask you how your, it's a little off topic, but that's me. Uh, how your other children are
1: with Luke? I the Josh's cool thing is really right.
0: adorable.
1: <laughs> Love it. They're oh. really good with him. They almost like treat him sometimes like their are forever toddler like come on Luke like they help him do things and yeah Josh and Luke definitely have a bond and Maya and Luke definitely have a bond because he'll go and lay on her bed and she'll just sing to him for hours and hours you know some of the siblings he's not as fond of <laughs> one walks by him and, well that's typical <laughs> and he screams every time she walks by So <laughs> it's just you know I don't know. People ask that often too. Like how, how yeah. don't you feel guilt or about their life? And it's like, it's their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, seven of them also had a parent die. Like yes, it's yeah. just their story and what they choose to do with their story is up to them. Like I didn't want my husband to die either. I didn't want to raise a profoundly disabled child, but it's what you do with the story you've been given. So no, I don't feel guilt over their story really I think it's made them more compassionate beautiful human beings and I think that's what we want in the world don't we like our kids to grow up and be compassionate kind human beings seven of those children will be
0: painting the barn this summer
1: (laughs) no (laughs) they can't draw (laughs) they want it beautiful
2: (laughs) That's amazing. So we've had a few other parents on here and we've talked about the guardianship process and it's been a little different for each child and just the level they're at. Have you guys gone through that? And what was that like for you? That's like one of the biggest questions we get. I think a lot of parents- are nervous about the guardianship process? Um, So far, everyone said it's not that bad, but (laughs) have you guys? No, it wasn't that bad. It was just time consuming. And honestly, if
1: we hadn't had like Hope Farm sort of at the, as a light at the end of the tunnel, I think it would have been much more emotional for me, but like, we have a plan in place, we feel good about it. And so it's kind of in a weird way, like my other kids, you know, fly the coop and go off to college or whatever. And that's kind of like, okay, we're just, getting luke prepared and we visit the farm all the time he's already like familiar with the word hope farm like you want to go to hope farm so we're going to do this for a year year and a half and just get him acclimated and so i think by the time we like drop him off there it'll be a familiar place and um we're 10 minutes away so You know, it's not like across the country or anything, but that was helpful. I think to have a plan in place, um, at least for my personality, like I like to kind of know what's next,
2: which is the hardest thing. I think with special. No, it's coming. Did you guys have to go to court or anything or was it all filed through a lawyer? We, we just had a court meeting like on zoom.
5: Okay. Oh, I was saying, do you have a timeline
1: for when it will be able to open? And my timeline would be next August. To have the first four individuals move in. Can
4: you so- talk to you about your um, f- nonprofit, the Lucas Project, because we haven't really s- talked about that yet, or ways people can help support the Lucas project and
1: what you guys do over there? Yeah. In a nutshell, we provide recognition, respite and residential support for special needs families that has sort of evolved with my personal journey with Luke. Um, We just added residential in the past six months. It was always recognition and respite because we realized that the problem seemed to be respite. Nobody could ever get a break, but how were we going to solve that problem? Which was the recognition portion of it which led to the documentary and then the respite portion, we send care packages to caregivers across the nation and you can nominate a caregiver on our website. And then we provide respite grants to individuals or communities who want to start respite where they live. So typically those are like a thousand dollars startup grant and there's an application process and a vetting process where we interview you and get an idea for what your vision looks like and you know, all of those good things. Um, And then the residential support moving forward, we want to give families grants to renovate houses for their disabled loved ones. So we can't take a grant unfortunately from the Lucas Project for Hope Farm because it would be a conflict of interest, (laughs) but we wanna do this as a model. And then moving forward, we want to encourage other families to find a group find a house and then apply for a grant. Ideally, we'd like to provide $25,000 to $50,000 grants to those groups of families to make the house beautiful and accessible for whatever group of individuals they're going to serve. Because again, I think it's just, you know, to stop believing that the government's going to swoop in and save us, it's time to kind of take matters into our own hands and create some solutions for ourselves. And then maybe if the government's like, oh, families are are creating this maybe they'll throw us a bone <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> they'll throw us some money or something
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> i think that's what they like they i mean i think they the, the, the government, government. <laughs> but it's so much easier to say oh they're already setting this up and they have it ready to go and people who know what they need to know what they're doing let's just throw money at them instead of us trying to build something where right. there's liability a lot of things can go wrong so i think that's awesome and
4: yeah. it's the fun or Lucas Project through grants, private donations. How did do how does the nonprofit run?
1: All of the above. Um, I think as a author, I realized I could kind of spin a story, and so we've had a lot of private donations just with me sharing um, caregiver stories and yeah. sharing my own story. And I think again, the world just really has no idea what some caregivers go through, yeah. and just bringing that to their attention and the donations tend to come in pretty quickly that way.
5: So so how does it work? So you decide to open a group home, purchase a property. What is your next step? Can anyone just open their own group home or is there a certain steps that you have to go through?
1: If you at least in Michigan, the rules change, you know, state by state, but in Michigan mm-hmm. you can open if we wanted to be unlicensed, it wouldn't even be considered a group home. We would just be like the landlords and we would be renting to the individuals. So as the landlords, we would just take their social security checks as rent. But since we are going to be a licensed group home, you do have to go through your community mental health organization to set up the Mm -hmm. care. Somebody told me in Indiana, and I don't know this as a fact, but somebody told me that in Indiana right now, they're not even allowing families to open group homes because there is no more funding. So I would not stay in Indiana if I lived there so I think it is kind of case by case and state by state
5: yeah I mean there's such a struggle with them staffing Mm -hmm. I know I'm sure everywhere definitely here even the date like Alyssa can't go her five days that she's supposed to go because there's not enough staff so it's like everyone's got to do shifts and then the residential care is just it's just the same you know they can't keep people that's my biggest concern
1: is the staffing but community mental health did say that the Lucas project could raise funds to help compensate the staff accordingly so that may be something like not compensate them but give bonuses and that's what we're hoping like we can help retain some of the, the staff maybe better that way and I don't know I think people people will go back to work at some point yeah right
2: yeah. <laughs> money eventually I think yeah. that's
1: what I'm hoping yeah. for
4: I think The issue with a lot of jobs in general in settings for our kids, schools, therapy programs, all of that is tied to dollars, funding or money, Hour rate you can provide to someone is hard to keep them around if they can go to a private agency who can pay them more money or whatever the case may be. So that's amazing that they can potentially
3: provide more money to them. I think too, so many of the jobs, like the roles that we see so much transition in for my daughter's team, it seems like all of the people leave the job that they're in in service to see for other another role within therapy, like, you know, another whatever. If you're buying into the idea of this lifestyle and this community and there's a future there for you forever, there's so much more about that type of living that if somebody has the heart to do this work and they can see forever value from Hope Farm as an employer, it's this self-fulfilling, like the community mm-hmm. brings the, mm-hmm. the value of that job up to the ability to serve in that way. I, I hope it's easy to staff
1: Yeah. for all those reasons
3: because to work for your organization has such a balance driven mm-hmm. into it, I feel mm-hmm. you're not going to overwork and undervalue people. You know well well there's gonna be a personal
5: touch to it because like they're gonna personally know the owner the parents mm-hmm. as instead of sometimes I feel like you're just at a sea of all these people that like
3: they're unseen too right, right. You our, know, those- our social worker has said I got into this to make a difference and to hug people and to help people not to fill out a spreadsheet in an email that I send off to somebody I mean sh- Jess is putting the care back into all of the roles. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, it is.
1: I think we need to elevate that role too, like the direct care worker. It's kind of like right now in alignment with like the teenager who works at McDonald's and let's elevate that to a status of utmost importance because again, it's the foundation of society. And I know in Michigan, we are doing that. There are some university programs that are doing like the caregiver tract and if you make it a certain level, you get higher pay and more benefits. And so I think it does need to be more of like a professional career. Yes. And we'll see a lot more people gravitate towards that role.
5: If there's some way that they could even give a lot of these people like state benefits for state run programs, do you
1: know what I mean? Like give yep. them.
5: Even if the pay isn't high, if the benefits are good, that will retain a lot of people. Of course, there's going to be a high turnover when they're making barely over minimum wage. And it's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's hard.
4: How can our listeners and yes. us support your mission?
0: Yeah. So where can we? Money's good. <laughs> 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 yeah, <project.org>. money's good.
4: <laughs> and all the money. We got to pay these support workers. We got to get right. the
0: painted. <laughs> all the money.
1: Yeah. Money's good. Um, We also have a link on our website, an Amazon wishlist link that you can send things for our care packages. Those are a huge blessing to caregivers as well. Just filling those and sending them out. And I think it just brightens their day a little bit, but yeah, or just uh, subscribe to our newsletter. um, So you can stay in the loop with everything we have going on and I've been kind of quiet on social media lately just because it's, I have like more feet on the ground things that I'm doing uh-huh. here now. About. I have
2: a few <laughs> things going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what Jeff, what's your website and where can people find you on social media? I'm at jessplusms.com the
1: or thelucasproject.org. Instagram is jessplusms the or thelucasproject or Hope Farm Village and facebook i just got my page back so just plus the mess or i'm at coffee with caregivers cuz that was my backup page <laughs> or the lucas project or hope farm village
2: and i have 3 books correct that i do I think well I have-
1: one's one's coming out in february
2: so you have sunlight burning mm-hmm. then you have blended with grit and grace and then you'll have loving with grit and grace loving with grit and grace yep wow lady oh.
5: yeah your story is just amazing yeah you're so inspirational because tired you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) but now there's other people that are like oh we can actually do this they're going to hear your story and then it's going to motivate them to figure out how they can do it and it's going to make a difference in so many so many kids in parents lives
4: truly amazing to talk to you. You know, we're always on the, on the thinking path of what's coming next for our kids and where they can land and you can shape it and form it. You're doing it.
1: You (laughs) can do it too. (laughs) You know, it's, it's a (laughs) lot, but I, I guess I look down the other path and I'm like, that's way more if I don't create this. So. Congratulations for figuring
3: out the sustainable path that keeps you from aching. Oh, I haven't. I know, I mean, but you're getting there. I'm putting stuff around right now. Okay. Thank
0: you're- you, thank you, thank you for thank taking you. the time with us today. You are a busy lady. We appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you. I hope you get some sleep.
0: <laughs> Don't feel sorry for me.
1: <laughs> I do, because sleep is my superpower.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much. we will put all the links to where you can find Jess. Have a great day,
2: everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of the Table for Five No Reservations podcast. Join us next Monday for more, and while you wait, make sure to check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen. To contact us, you can email us at tableforfivepodcasts at gmail.com. We can't wait to sit with you again. See you next time.